Who's ready to talk about property taxes? Hello out there in podcast world, this is Renew Gurus, your source for all things energy policy and politics in Missouri and beyond. My name is James Owen, I'm the Executive Director of Renew Missouri, here at the Renew Missouri Studios in Columbia, Missouri, joined by Tim Opitz, General Counsel for Renew Missouri. Good morning, glad to be here. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night, depending on when you're listening to this. And Emily Biantech, Biantech. Piantech. Piantech. There we go. <laughs> close wow, enough. I can't. I okay. No, it's not close enough. I should be doing better. I don't you care. <laughs> are our research clerk here at Renew Missouri, also a grad student at the University of Missouri. Welcome. That's right. Hello out there, podcast world. Very good. Yeah, you knew it was podcast world. And running the boards, Matt Patterson. Hello. Hi. Welcome. W- wake up. <laughs> it's always a pleasure. Thank you for pronouncing my name correctly. Well, yours is easy. You're like, a, you've got like easy It's stuff. like Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> it is easy like Sunday morning. <laughs> oh, yikes. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> well. Uh, so property tax. Property taxes. Yes, that's how I teased uh, this podcast. I mean, what wouldn't be more exciting than that? Uh, we are still uh, continuing to do podcasts that are based on uh, legislation that uh, was brought up during the 2019 session. Um, we think that's uh, worthwhile for you all to know about some of the issues we are working on, some of the things that got passed, some of the things that didn't, some of the things we had to fight. Um, last week, we talked a little bit about EV charging station jurisdiction and kind of the legal background on that. And this week, we're going to talk about Senate Bill... 72. Although I think it was um, House Bill 220 that ended up actually getting passed uh, that changed the way we do uh, property tax assessment on wind farms. And you might out there be thinking, who cares? (laughs) Why does this matter? Why is this important to wind farm development? Um, And you still might not care after this, but we we think it's interesting. We think it's important because this issue kind of sheds light on some of the legal issues and policy concerns that come up in these wind farm cases and why we need to have this piece of legislation to begin with. Um, So let's just dig into that. Um, Tim Opitz, uh, in the past couple of years, uh, since you've been at Renew Missouri, we've had a fair amount of wind farm cases, haven't we? We've had, I would say, over a gigawatt of wind farm cases. Um, Sounds like a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's quite a bit. Though. Okay. So, okay. So let's, let's see. Let's, I just want to kind of run down what we've had. I mean, so in the past, like just, yeah, since you've been here, uh, Ameren, Missouri has uh, applied for and received, I think, 350 megawatts up in Adair County. Uh, also got 157 megawatts in um, Atchison, Atchison County. County. And then there's a new one. Those have both been approved and uh, those are pending. Uh, there's one that has been filed that we're starting to work on that is also up in Ashton County that's 299 megawatts. I got that right? That's right. Okay, that's a lot of wind. That's a lot and then, of wind. just this week, uh, I know we're dating this podcast a little bit, I guess I should say two weeks ago, uh, Empire Electric uh, got approval from the Public Service Commission for uh, 650 megawatts of wind. Uh, that's going to be both in southeast Kansas and southwest Missouri, which is going to provide a lot of their power. 
Am I leaving anything out? As far as the Public Service Commission goes? As far as the CCNs, no. I, I think there's been, you know, green tariffs, yeah. uh, which will lead to more wind right. uh, via PPAs. But I mean, you know, yeah, of course. I mean, like, and we also, those are just, those are wind farms that are going to be owned by the utility companies. I mean, KCPNL, Ameren, Empire, they obviously have a lot of contracts out there with third-party wind farms um, relevant to our discussion. I mean, you know, KCPNL at any given point might be up to 50% uh, renewable for what they use. You know, Empire being in Kansas and Oklahoma, they have a lot of access to wind. Um, Ameren is getting there, but they don't have as much access to wind uh, from where they are, but they are building that because they've got a transmission line they use. Um, uh, the co-ops have, uh, have announced they're building a 350 me megawatt wind farm, but they don't have to get PSC approval for that. Right? That's right. Okay, because co-ops just, I mean, we talked about this uh, in our last podcast, but they don't like going in front of the PSC for any reason. They answer to their board yeah, the and their... Yeah. Ah, yes, their their owner members, as we like to call them. That's where they get all their policy direction, of course. Um, now, so we've had a lot of wind projects. And these, and like, really, if the uh, utility companies are wanting to build this, own it, operate it, they've got to go get permission uh, from the Public Service Commission. Other contracts, PPAs, that sort of thing, ultimately go into the general management of, of their operations, I mean, ultimately, they're really guided by their IRPs, their integrated resource planning uh, for 20 years or so odd, you know, when they're going to be looking at getting wind. And that could come from anywhere. So, this is relevant. I'm getting to my point. Um, we have, at these wind cases, Tim Opitz, um, a lot of people get involved with these. Um, we have environmental groups like us. We have customer groups like the Oss Public Council, we have Missouri Energy Consumer Group, uh, we have... Um, Department of Conservation has been getting involved. Yes, the Department of Conservation does get involved with these. Uh, but we've also like also had some local, uh, local counties and school boards get involved with these cases too. Absolutely. And they've got kind of a unique perspective on this because this is something that's come up. Um, I really didn't know about it until last summer when I saw in the Kirksville paper um, an economic development director up there, and I can't remember her name, but she was talking about uh, some concerns she had because Ameren, uh, at that time, was gonna was looking at uh, building this uh, wind farm in Adair and Schuyler County. Am I saying that right, Schuyler? Schuyler? Schuyler. Schuyler. Thank you. See, there's other things I can't pronounce. Um, I'll just blame that on my Webster County-ness. Okay, so that was originally going to be uh, not owned by Hammer, and that was going to be owned by a company called NextGen. Is that right? Or NextEra? It may have been TerraGen. TerraGen. <laughs> um, These names, sure. I tell you. Let's say TerraGen. They're wind developer. They're wind developer. Yeah, so, so this property tax issue, I guess to, to circle to that. Yeah, please, I'm uh, struggling. Is... <laughs> Based on how we often see that regulated investor-owned utilities are treated differently than other entities in Missouri. Yes. And for tax purposes, uh, that's no different. Right. Be because one of the things that we have, we have a state tax commission in Missouri that, among other things, helps give uh, guidance to county assessors about how they tax things. I mean, as you know, or maybe you don't know, you have a county assessor in every county, as well as St. Louis City. Uh, that their job, part of their job, is to go out and look at real and personal property and determine how much that's worth 
and that worth determines how much they're able to get as far as uh, property taxes on it. This is really controversial. It's uh, controversial because you know there are some people that don't that believe they're assessed too much. Uh, but then there's also some parties out there who don't think assessments get, uh, you know, as, you know, are properly done. Uh, you know, they write them out because that's like school districts and ambulance districts and fire districts who rely on property tax revenue to operate. Now, that's not necessarily the issue with um, wind farms, right? Well, so the tax issue with wind farms has really come to a head lately because our investor-owned utilities are going to own these wind projects. Right. Before this, uh, one prominent example is there's a Osborne, Missouri, which is in the northwest part of the state, DeKalb County. Yeah. They have a private developer that built a wind farm there, and mm -hmm. they sold that as a purchase power agreement to some utilities on our western side of the state. Right. Because it wasn't actually owned by the regulated utility under... Missouri law, tax law, it was assessed locally. Yeah. So all of that property value was collected and distributed Which within is a lot. that county. It's and a it's lot of it's a lot of property tax, right? A significant amount of money that helps um, assuage people's concerns about these projects being located in the counties. Are you telling me some people are concerned about wind farms being built in their counties? I don't know why they would, but there are people who, I know. who are out there who don't like them. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, but I mean, okay, There's so a lot of misinformation out there. Very much so. Now, so I mean, we're talking about because I think I read somewhere I was doing research on this. Like, say for example, when Terrigen was going to build uh, their, um, when they were going to be responsible for that wind farm up in Adair and Schuyler County, that was going to be we're talking about over a period of time about thirty-two million dollars for those counties. That's in a in property taxes. In property taxes, okay. I mean, and that's yeah. I mean, that's over the life of the project. I don't think that was that wasn't a year. Right. I'm not trying to misrepresent anything, but yes, Emily, that is just for property taxes. I mean, obviously, there's other economic benefits to this, but that was purely from a property tax perspective. Now, Tim or Emily, whoever wants to field this, like, what happens if a utility company owns these wind farms? So. Prior to the passage of this law, uh, HB 220, and I don't think it's been signed by it the It has not been yet. signed yet. Governor Parson has till July 14th to sign it or veto it. So I'll say the law as it was before classified generation, which would include wind generation as well as coal and nuclear, as distributable property for tax purposes, which for Ameren, Missouri, if they own this project, that would mean the value of that wind turbine would be assessed by the state tax commission and it would be paid to counties that Ameren, Missouri had and, distribution lines. And there, yeah. So, Which could be dozens of counties. It's several. It's several counties, and but you're going to see the, the largest in, you know, St. Louis County where yeah. they have the most customers. Or St. Louis City. The most distribution lines. Yeah. Right. Right. So in that pre-existing uh, legal scenario for tax law, if you get a wind farm built in Adair County, most of that tax money is going to be distributed to the St. Louis area. Right. Yeah. Which didn't make a lot of people in Adair County happy. Right. Because I mean, okay, let's because let's be honest. Um, as you said, there are people with concerns about wind farms, whether they are founded or not, and part of what is 
you know, one of the things that you can really sell as a point here is like this can generate a lot of revenue for your area. But if the utilities are building that, that ends up getting diluted a little bit. It can get diluted. And I think some of it, so even if, even under the old construct, there would be tax benefits for these counties. But I think some of them, the problem with some of these current projects is they were initially sold as being developed and owned by this third party. Right. So all of these commissions and school boards and local entities thought that all of that tax revenue was going to stay there. Yeah. And then at the end of it, um, and I said, just kidding and say, okay, we're going to own it. And we don't necessarily like this, but we have to follow the law. Right. So most of this money is going elsewhere. Yeah. Um, so a lot of these people felt like they were getting, you know, sold a, a pig and poke or something like that. Mm. So this law quite a phrase, that. yeah. No, I mean, right? Okay, so yeah, and that was and that was a big thing because we were talking about a lot of money and like say in DeKalb County, for example, I believe that we looked into this and uh, their their one of their school districts was was down to four days a week, which is something a lot of rural school districts have had to do because of money problems. But because of the money they had come in, they were able to go back to five days a week. They were able to make improvements to their schools. I mean, for for a county like DeKalb County where you struggle to, you know, retain people, population, because, you know, farming is just not the uh, industry it used to be. As a, as, a, as a farm kid, I can attest to that personally. And so it is a challenge for them to say, like, well, if you're a family and you've got kids, why should they be going to a school district where they're going to be getting a four-day education and there's problems associated with that? So that's a benefit. That's a non-economic benefit. So... So, yeah, we had the situation where the state tax commission had made this determination, which obviously the state tax commission can be overridden uh, 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 by statute. And so there was a statute that was proposed. Uh, there were two bills, House Bill 220 and Senate Bill uh, 72, that sought to address this. Right? Yeah. I think that's right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, but and House Bill 220 is the one that... Made its way through yeah. waiting for the governor's signature. Uh, right. I mean, you know, because uh, Senate Bill 72 was introduced by Cindy O'Loughlin, who is a freshman senator from Macon County, uh, which is in northeast Missouri. She represents the 18th district. That's pretty much all of what we consider to be northeast Missouri, pretty much. Um, and she uh, and she had, Emily, you said off mic, you had read that she had, she had talked about this internet. Yeah, before. well, so what we were talking about a few minutes ago with some of the um, impacts of wind to counties, she just felt that with like a county hosting a wind project or wind development, um, it's only fair if they're also seeing um, most of the property tax revenue um, yeah. sort of in exchange for hosting the um, project because you know I think wind farms wind farms have multiple benefits um, but they yeah. do disrupt landscapes and um, nothing's perfect is right, it right yeah so, so obviously if you're going to see the cost associated with the project it makes sense for you to see the benefit that seems fair right yeah and so that's yeah. what House Bill 220 yeah. seeks to do yeah and um, you know I should also point out I mean this is a relatively uncontroversial bill I I had sat here I mean just to pull back the curtain a little bit. Uh, we do our own lobbying here. We did our own lobbying this year. We don't have our own lobbyists right now. I was I had some belief that some of these counties that were seeing benefit from this uh, from this uh, setup, you know, like St. Louis County, like St. Louis City, some of these places that had more of this might raise an objection to that changing. 
But if they did, we didn't see it. It wasn't necessarily something we saw in Jefferson City. I mean, there were hearings on this. We we didn't really talk to a lot of lawmakers about this because there were other controversial issues out there uh, that we've talked about on this podcast and we will talk about on subsequent podcasts that we were more focused on. But there weren't a lot of controversial issues with this. Um, so it kind of sailed through. Now, there did get there was something that was added into this, uh, and that was the Wind Farm Task Force. Now, these task force always give me a little bit of heartburn <laughs> um, because you never know who's going to be on them. You never know what they're going to do. And we've had, I mean, we had a tax, uh, we had a Wind Farm Task Force proposed in 2018 uh, by our friend, uh, former state rep T.J. Uh, Barry who uh, had proposed in this um, that there was going to be a moratorium put on wind farms while this task force was convening, which clearly we didn't like and we were against. We weren't against the idea of a task force necessarily, but we were opposed to that. They ended up taking the moratorium out. The wind farm task force never got set up, but that concept did get introduced into this bill. Now, uh, this bill really specifically focused on economic factors involving wind farms and the composition of this was going to be state lawmakers county officials local officials and there had to be like an assessor or like some amount like an assessor had to be on this committee on this task force um now i am told right now uh this bill hasn't been signed it wouldn't go into effect until august 28th of 2019 tim I think we've talked about this before. Why is August 28th when all the bills go into effect in Missouri? Because that's what the Constitution says. Oh, yeah. Nothing much more magical than that, but that's but that's why. When we talk about August 28th, you know, to be honest with you, for a while I wondered why that, and I was too lazy to look it up, but that's the, <laughs> that's the reason. So, um, so when this goes into effect, this task force could be created, but what we have heard is it's not necessarily going to happen. It's not necessarily going to be a priority. It has to be something that the, uh, the legislature does. It has to be staffed. I mean, there is cost associated with these task force. And by the way, folks, we have a lot of task force out there. I kid you not. And I think this got passed. In another bill, somebody introduced the idea of having a task force to address all the task force forces that had been enacted. If you want to know why people get enraged about Jefferson City or Washington, D.C. or just government in general, yeah. we had a proposal to deal with task forces by setting up a task force. Very uh, Kafka-esque. Is that Kafka-esque or is that Orwellian or is that like Joseph? It's like yeah. Joseph Heller seems yeah. like that. Uh, Kafka-esque would just be well, like, like if you were the metamorphosis and he turns into the bug. That would be like if you were a subject of a task force and you didn't really know why and, like, all these kind of, like, shadowy forces were, like, tormenting you. That's very Kafka-esque. Well, that sounds like, that that sounds like Jeff City. Yeah. <laughs> that actually does sound, that sounds like my experience in Jefferson City, if you were on the truth. Like, all these shadowy forces coming after me. Just kidding. Those shadowy forces out there listening to these podcasts. <laughs> yeah, that'll make them go away. Yeah, oh, yeah. Like, oh, man, James is on to us. Um... So yeah, so there, so there is a task force to, that is supposed to be set up from the statute to look at the economic benefits of wind. Um, I mean, Emily, you've been kind of working on wind farm issues. I mean, you, I mean, you, you've heard a lot of concerns out there about these. I mean, what do you think about those concerns? I mean, there's like any. I mean, there's a lot of kind of out there 
uh, out there uh, thinking about wind farms, is there not? Sure. I think um, a lot of people aren't 100% clear on how wind farms operate and what some of the impacts um, will be. But I think also people who have kind of looked deeply into some of the opposition to wind farms have found that if you're kind of predisposed to dislike um, to dislike them, then you're going to be more likely to be bothered by um, the disruption to the landscape yeah. or um, any kind of noise yeah. they might make. I mean, because um, I hate to make this accusation, but there's a lot of information on social media about wind farms, and I know I don't want you all to be shocked, but I think some of that information is incorrect. Probably. On the internet? On the internet. Oh, wow. Surprise, that's... surprise. Patterson, I've seen you put up a meme that's like, it's a quote of like, don't trust everything you read on the internet and you attribute it to Abraham Lincoln. Lincoln. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it really sums it up. I think that does sum up what you should be skeptical about online, which is amazing that, I mean, it's one thing to have misinformation out there. It's another thing for people to like suspend their their thought process when they see it they see it and they're like oh yeah that's got to be right well i think you see that in just experience of that i've had is you look and you see that actually there's some i won't mention any specific names or anything but there are like oil and and coal companies who pay to have organizers come into these areas and they they spread some mistruths. Uh, whether they would tell you that's what they do, yeah, um, on purpose. But they, you know, a lot of that is, you know, is being promoted, and it's the same by messaging. opponents yeah. of clean energy. It's yeah, it's the same messaging. Whether it's in Iowa or whether it's in you know North Dakota or in Missouri, it's the same messaging. I mean, they're very detailed in keeping into that same messaging. Well, and I think it's just important to remind anybody listening to the podcast. I mean, I'm sure everybody listening to the podcast is already like a fan of renewable energy, but in case you oh, you'd aren't be surprised. Ever, we'll see. <laughs> anyway, there there are many environmental benefits of the wind farms. I think that outweigh some of the costs that people um, are concerned about. And developers, I think, um, often do a good job of trying to like through good neighbor payments or like through the property tax revenues and things like that. They give back. I mean, uh, one thing communities in ways that yeah. balance some of the perceived costs. It's also beneficial to people paying their utility bills. You can build a wind farm, good point. and maintain it <laughs> for cheaper than it is to keep running an existing coal facility. Yeah, because I mean that's that's the thing that people get lost. I mean, you look at all the factors of transporting coal to Missouri. Uh, maintaining a coal operations, operating it, it's a really expensive proposition. Wind farms, you don't have to transport wind in from somewhere. It does it itself. Uh, so, and it's just, and there's like less environmental compliance that goes along with it. I mean, obviously right now we've seen some news that the Trump administration is trying to relax regulations on coal plants that would make it, I guess, more inexpensive uh, specifically to operate those, although I think you would say the external costs are going to be higher. Well, but developers still have to comply. Yeah, with like, of course. Department of Natural Resources and Department of Conservation That's right. rules. Yeah, but I, but you you yeah but you so okay so you so it there is there are fewer concerns. There is going to be a benefit to customers. There is a benefit environmentally. Uh, there is a benefit to these communities, and I think one of the things that is good and forward thinking about House Bill uh, 220 and about Senate Bill 72 was it looked at this issue, saw this as a concern, and actually addressed it, which I would say is something you don't see often in Jefferson City. 
honestly, uh, they, they tend to react instead of like being proactive on things, uh, which is a big criticism I've always had of what goes on in that town. Um, so this is, I think, a very forward-thinking idea. Um, and it's something that kind of resets every year. So, you know, this assessment will start having an impact right away. Um, but yes, there's a lot of misinformation out there. A lot of people, if you were to talk to them, and trust me, I've talked to them. Matthew, you've talked to them. Emily, you've talked to them. Tim, we kind of insulate you a little bit from some of these people because, you know, you you have to, like, you know, do all the legal work. And so we try to keep you in your ivory tower. Uh, but um, but some of these people, like, have, I mean, they, you would when you talk to them, you act like it's just literally killing people left and right to have these wind farms near them. They're just, like, you think that the wind turbines falling off were a daily occurrence. Uh, you would think that, like, the... Flaming the, pieces of wind turbines. yes. And that you can't ever sleep near one. <laughs> um, and, and, I mean, there's a lot. I mean, so you hear a lot of... And then even when you say, like, well, look, I mean, this, this, when you talk about this property tax issue, this is bringing uh, money into your school district. They'll even say, like, well, people are moving because of these wind farms, even though they have no evidence of that. Um, Comment, Emily? Well, I was just thinking about... Um, I saw something the other day that was saying, so wind farms, I guess, are usually... Most ordinances require that they make no more than like 60 decibels of sound, I suppose. Uh, and that's um, about what an air conditioner, okay. air conditioning unit on a house. Okay, I was about to ask you, I don't know what that means. Yeah, so it's like decibels, if you're, you know, if someone uses a window unit on their house, that's about um, okay. between 50 and 60 decibels. And that's, you might be right next to that because your house yeah. might be right you're next to that. You're not going to be, be right next to the wind turbine, yeah, probably. Yeah, because of setbacks and things like that, you're definitely going to be. And because they're also like 400 feet yeah, up in exactly. the air. Yeah, exactly. So the sound is going to be pretty unnoticeable yeah although you would you make it i mean some of these other people make it sound like they literally cannot conduct daily life because of the noise of these things yeah but i i mean yeah and we even have a president who gets up and says and this is not an exaggeration he says the noise from wind farms will cause cancer now i think he has jumbled up two myths with that and i think it's also important to note like when we talk about donald trump um his opposition to wind farms is, like a lot of his policies, driven by personal animosity because he has had fights in Scotland with his uh, golf course and it having wind farms offshore, and that's been a legal issue for him for several years. So it tends to be one thing I've observed about this president is he has a personal experience about it. He tends to extrapolate that to, well, this is a larger societal concern because I don't like it. Just been an observation. I'm not trying to be overly political here, but this is something I've noticed with President Trump. Tim? I think you're attributing a lot of thought and intentionality in things oh. he just says off the top of his head. But don't you think, but, but, okay, but I think that he, but I mean, you hear him kind of spout off some of this, um, some of this incorrect information. And it's not just conservatives. I don't want to say this is President Trump. I've talked to a lot of liberals who have said, They've literally said that wind farms are not the answer. Renewable energy is not the answer. We need to be having something like nuclear power, which my response to is, so you want nuclear power in your county. Great. What would they say that we need to go live in, um, you know, shacks in the woods? Yeah, yeah, which that's not an exaggeration either. We've had people, we've gone to events. Tim, I sent you to an event where that was one of the proposals, right? We should go live in mud huts. That's not an exaggeration. Right, that that they thought that you know wind and solar were not the solutions yeah. because we just need to give up all of our modern amenities because 
that's the way that this particular individual believed. Now, I want to should go forward. I want to ask my panel: Do you think that's going to see that policy of making people do that? Do you think there's going to be a lot of widespread support for that? <laughs> no. This is a trick question. Um, people aren't going to give away. Give, you know, you give up your modern, your computers, your yeah. cell phones, your air conditioning, or whatever. You know, your hula hoops, your rap music. I mean, you know, all clean this water. Your you know, yeah, no, stuff like that. You're yeah. not to go live in a yurt. Ooh. Yeah. Well, that's fine, but, but like, I don't know if that's like a big macro policy <laughs> we want to be pursuing. Yeah. So to that extent, I mean, like renewable energy does not create emissions. Um, it is cheaper. It does. It does have all these positive environmental benefits. And we don't talk a lot about that at Renew Missouri because we do want to focus. We are in a conservative state, and we want to focus on economic benefits because I think there are a lot of those. Uh, but I mean, you know, the reality is the fact that we have people saying. You know, environmentalists saying, oh, we think wind farms are bad is, I'll say this, it's a surprising challenge I've faced on this job. I wasn't really quite expecting it <laughs> when I started working here. And yet, here I am dealing with this, which is fine. It's my job, but it just is surprising. It is surprising. Sorry, I, I, I don't want to upset anybody out there, but my God, people, we're fighting. We're trying to shut down coal plants and like gas, natural gas converting plants for wind and solar. And you're saying like, oh, no, the answer is we shouldn't drive and we should go live out in the middle of the woods. I'm sorry. That's not the answer. It's not the answer. I hope not. Maybe, 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 maybe. Start your own group. <laughs> I, think, I think they're called communes. Right? Oh, okay. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I just, you know, to me, I, I look, I, you know, I do this, we do this all day around here. And we, I see all these benefits. And I know there are challenges to it. You know, you get, you, you run into these challenges, uh, like pro how we assess these for property taxes that you don't ever even think about. Emily, like we talked about last week, have you, have you been surprised by how complicated all this gets? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. You have no idea the amount of things that you run into when you try try to start doing things that you're like, oh, this is a simple solution, and then it's like, oh no, but like, what about this and what about that and what about how our property taxes are assessed on this sort of thing? It's all complicated. I don't know what else to tell you, but now you know. Now after you've listened to me kind of go off a little bit on um, some of these folks who are opposed to this. But you can also see these are some of the real concrete challenges of trying to develop more wind in Missouri. Uh, some of these concerns are legitimate. I think that House Bill 220 addresses one of these legitimate concerns. There are some that are illegitimate, but it is a constant battle and a constant struggle. And I think that House Bill 220 is a good step in the right direction. Any parting thoughts, Tim Opitz? I have none. None, Emily? I think we covered it. Matt Patterson, anything to plug? Nothing to plug right now. Oh, we should mention we're sending out our summer ask. Oh, as Ian's going to say, that we start looking for that in your mailbox. Yeah, and send us money. In mid-July. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because one thing I, I do want to point out before we get off this podcast is this is coming out. You know, when we talk about legislation and lobbying, I mean, that's one of the things that we, we do get grant money here at Renew Missouri, and we are we have very generous grantors on that. However, we cannot use any of that money for legislative activity. Uh, our agreements with our grantors are almost 
I mean, they're all entirely barring lobbying activity. So the only way we're able to go to Jefferson City and fight for stuff like this and fight against some of the stuff that we've talked about before, like the Grain Belt Express, the anti-Grain Belt Express uh, legislation, um, is if you help us. And so, I mean, any amount is helpful. $25, $250, $2,500. I don't know why I picked the $25 uh, denomination there, but I mean, you get the idea. $10,000. I think I'm actually saying that because I think we've we've asked for $25,000 as a goal for the summer to try to raise because we're doing some other work on rulemaking, which uh, Tim and I and maybe Andrew will be talking about in a couple weeks. So um, this all matters. This all helps. Um, we don't get paid extra to do this podcast either, but why would we? <laughs> I, so, so... We do this because we're trying to communicate to you what we're doing. And we thank you for listening. And we thank you for your support. And we ask that if you like what you hear, write a positive review on Spotify or on iTunes while you're subscribing. Also share this with your uh, social media uh, uh, networks uh, because we appreciate this. And uh, because I know Emily doesn't like how I sign off on these things, I'm just going to say good night and have a pleasant tomorrow. <laughs>